Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and tonight we're joined by Dr. Amanda Foon Nguyen. She is a Perth Oral Medicine Specialist, PhD candidate, adjacent senior lecturer at UWA, and consultant at Perth Children's Hospital. She is passionate about oral medicine, and her professional role includes co-chair of the Australian Asian Sleep Association Dental Sleep Medicine Council, and on the board of studies in oral medicine, editor and examiner of RACDS, and is the treasurer of ADA WA. She's secretary of RACDS WA, vice president of the Dental Specialist Society of WA, treasurer of the IADR Perth region, and so many other more committees. She represents her specialty at several multidisciplinary meetings. Dr. Amanda Funuen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> So today we're doing a mukbang special, hashtag Bernie Mouth special. So for all of our listeners, I apologize in advance again if there's too much noise in the background from either my runny nose coughing, slurping when we're having the noodles. <laughs> so yes, as Amanda's pointed out, she's holding up the volcano ramen that she's specifically requested for. I'm going to forewarn everyone, I don't have a strong um, chili stomach, so if you're hearing this, you probably won't see it, but first up, I've got the shin ramen, so that's that's how I'm going to sequent it, and then I've got this volcano ramen following up after that. Now to see how it goes, I've got the water and I've got the milk on the side. So I understand Amanda's mentioned that, you know, no milk allowed, but we'll see how we go, hey? No no sugar, Coke Zero, and I just have the one ramen, the spicy one. <laughs> so, okay, we'll get straight into it. So the last time you were on the DHS uh, podcast, which is Dental um, Head Start podcast, it was COVID-19, 2020. Since then, there's been some more information about it. How's the ADA um, WA been contemplating tackling this issue as to um, as they watch their New South Wales or East Coast counterparts going through this period of time? So I think the probably the important thing to note is that ADA WA, we don't actually set the rules. So the rules are actually set by the chief health officer. So we don't have the power to... Um, tell people what levels that they have to be at, which I'm not sure if a lot of people realize. So it's not actually up. The ADA, w, uh, ADA did come up with the guidelines for the service restriction, but we don't actually tell people what level it is. That comes from much higher up. Now, what ADAWA is is doing, and you know, our CEO, David Hallett's doing a fantastic job. We advocate for what levels we think we should be at. If we think that it's unreasonable, then we sort of talk to the chief health officer and let them know. We provide member support during that time. A lot of people have a lot of questions. So I think short answer, we are keeping abreast of what is happening. If we think that it's unfair or unreasonable, then we represent members and take it higher up. Um, but as you know, everyone's realizing COVID-19 is, or it feels weird to call it 19 now, but COVID-19 is such a rapidly evolving situation. I think there's a lot of moving parts. So I think we just have to take it as it comes. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Delta strain is going to 
um, come over west at some point. I don't think we can prevent that. And I think it's just trying to get our pieces in a row. Um, so hopefully when that happens, we can minimize the impact. Mm, fair enough. You know, what's your take on the future of the dental industry in terms of uh, how we'll learn to deal with COVID as part of our everyday life? You know, people are talking about rapid antigen testing. People are talking about frequent workplace screening, infection control changing a little bit uh, more frequently. What's your take on that? I really don't know, to be honest. I think um, I think nobody will know. Um, one of the things that's really good is that the um, ADA federal federally have actually come up with the new infection control guidelines, which should be hitting everyone's emails today or tomorrow or maybe even yesterday. So I think just keep abreast of that. And um, the good thing is that there are a lot of people who are much more learned in this than I am, and they're putting all their heads together and doing all of these policies and documents. So I think we... That I think there has to be a degree of patience from people. Like I do understand, like it's so frustrating. You know, we get all of these guidelines, like where do I get hydrogen peroxide mouthwash? Like, I don't want to, like there's no more peroxide, we can't buy anymore. Or like, do I need to buy an evacuator? Like I understand and it's very anxiety inducing, but also everyone's learning as they go. So I think probably in the short answer, the really good start is to try to read and keep abreast of the current infection control guidelines. You can't get any more up to date than the one that was just released recently. Um, and see where we go from there. I don't know if there will be massive big impacts because, you know, dental dental clinics already have very good infection control anyway. But I think it's basically having some flexibility in keeping up with what's happening and a bit of understanding it that everyone's just doing the best they can as well. Yeah, that's fair enough. You actually did a TED talk, didn't you? On teleconference at one point. How do you think about, because that was fairly recent. Tell us about what your thoughts on that now. Hmm. Way of the future. Um, I think one of the things that um, COVID-19 has given us is the opportunity to actually explore all of these things. Like, I think there wouldn't be as many webinars, you know, telehealth conferences, um, not just in dental, like medical as well, without, without COVID-19, really. So in a really roundabout way. Like, we've always known that we need to reduce the barrier to health. Um, to try and get you know people who are in remote and regional areas better access to the healthcare system i think telehealth is the way to do that dentistry has always been a little bit of a challenge because how much can you actually do of dentistry if you cannot touch the patient but then you'll be surprised that there are actually things that are happening that are becoming more and more um, accessible as technology improves so a classic example you know your dental maxillofacial radiologists who report on imaging they don't necessarily have to see the patient face to face. And I think there will be some developments along those lines where we will make it slightly easier for patients um, to access us. Mm. Mm. So let's talk about your CPD journey so far. So before specializing, you're a general dentist and at one point in the Navy, what's your CPD journey up to that point? I always liked CPD. Oh, it's a bit spicy, huh? That's <laughs> 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 quite good at spice, but <laughs> I think it took a big chunk of chili. <laughs> I've always liked CPD because I am quite like a, a, um, a social person. So CPD to me, besides the learning, it was also a really good way to network and get to know people and like, you know, and socialize. So I think I've always liked um, attending CPD courses. Um, the webinars, to be honest, wasn't something that I was really big on until COVID-19. Um, podcasts I started to get into a little bit um, because I would do quite a lot of um, driving for work and I would, you know, tune in and listen in. Um, 
but yeah, basically I started attending a whole range of different CPDs. If there was anything that caught my interest, I would try to um, attend it. I did make some mistakes early on in my career by attending some courses that I wasn't ready for. So I think very early on, um, I paid, you know, five figures to attend an implant course. And, you know, in hindsight, like it wasn't right for me. Um, I place, I've placed one implant in my life and I was like, okay, no, not for me. I mean, clearly, because I'm oral medicine now. But um, <laughs> I think uh, I think my CPD journey was at the start. And I think um, probably a lot of dentists will sort of feel this as well. At the start was that you want to do as much as possible. And then like with the benefit of hindsight, you start to realize like what other things that you probably should do first. So I think things that improve your bread and butter dentistry is always better at the start. As you get better and as you get more experience and, you know, you move on to the, the so-called like more advanced courses. Yeah. So um, what kind of bread and butter uh, dentistry courses did you find helpful? Yep. Um, so a big one that I think now um, most people should do is actually communications. Because one of the things that I was actually thinking is that um, it doesn't get taught a whole lot in the university. And we know that communication will really make or break an interaction with a patient. Like if you can't communicate or if you don't know how to put your point across in the best way, um, that's really where I think we can get into trouble um, as, as a dentist because the patient hasn't understood what you said and you think that you've communicated perfectly. So I think communications is really important. Um, treatment planning as well, really important because that's, you know, that's the basis of, of, of what we do. Like it makes no sense to place an implant in a patient straight away if you haven't considered the rest of their dentition. Um, radiology is, is a big one. Um, I think it is so important for dentists to know um, how to interpret images that they're taking um, themselves just from the you know um you, you guys know i'm on social media a lot so sometimes i see a lot of people say oh what is this what is that like it'd be better to attend a course to actually know because the other thing as well is um it's not 100 percent reliable to ask for opinions like this like that's not really the way it should be done either mm. Mm. Uh, when you're in the navy did that help you like did they help you sponsor or accommodate for some of those courses. Uh, were you doing implants when you were in the Navy and that's why you decided to pick it or? No, so the Navy are very good at helping out with um, with CPD courses. So they do pay for you to attend CPD courses that will be relevant. Now in the Navy as a general dentist, you will do a lot of general dentistry. So I didn't do any implants and that will usually be referred out to the specialists. Um, but I think that the things that I attended as part of the Navy would be things like, you know, your ADA congresses and stuff like that. Like they will pay for you to attend because that will all be, um, you know, relevant for you in, in the services. Because um, when you're in the Navy, um, so for people that, that are not aware, there are specialists in the Navy as well. And then if anybody in the military needs specialist care, they get referred out. So I think there's a focus at the start because I joined the dentist as a very, um, as a very new grad. So at the start is really their focus is getting those basics and those foundations, right? And then the CPD course would be, and the CPD courses that are appropriate for that. Right. So then you did the MRCD, MRACDS. You know, that's a little bit different to what the primaries are to get into the fellowship. I've heard about it through a few other colleagues. I had it from a colleague back in Adelaide from Dent, um, Alan Mann, and I heard it from one of my mentors, Chris um, Hadwicky. Um, so tell us about how that led you to finding your love for oral medicine specialty. Hmm. So when I was in dentistry, um, didn't want to specialize. Uh, I think people who know me will know that. Um, 
uh, and then I graduated, I worked as a dentist. And then I realized that I wanted to do a little bit more because as I said, I did like attending all of these CPD courses. So I, obviously most people know what the primary, so I looked into um, pathways at the um, through the colleges. And at that time, the MRACDS program was something that was fairly new. What the MRACDS program um, encompasses is a two or three year program where you answer short answer questions throughout the year. Um, you present some cases at the end and then you have a viva. You get assigned a mentor and you have to do a certain amount of CPD hours. I think it's like 200 hours or something like that. So it all kind of ticked my boxes because at that time, I was new to Perth, didn't really know anybody. And the thought of having a mentor to guide me through was very attractive. I was doing a lot of CPD anyway. So I thought, well, I might as well try and work towards um, something. So that's when I got started on the MRACDS program. Now, during, during university, as I already said, like I didn't want to specialize. I wasn't a particularly great student, actually. Um, but then I realized when I was doing the MRACDS program that when it was something that I was trying to do off my own back, um, I actually found it really interesting. And one of the um, cases that I presented at the end was a oral medicine case. Yeah, and then I started to ask around a little bit more. I got to know a couple of uh, oral medicine specialists in Perth. I shadowed one of them, uh, Ramesh Balasubramaniam. I don't know if you know him, but um, I ended up following him around uh, and working in the oral medicine clinic, just observing for six months uh, before I started oral med. Um, and then the more I found out about oral med, the more I liked it. So yeah, the rest is history. Oh, fair enough. So now that you're an oral medicine specialist, you know, where to from here? How do you upskill? How do you maintain the top on top of the latest knowledge? Very important because nobody at any stage of their career, I think, will ever know everything. I think I actually learn a lot. So um, I do uh, get invited. I'm very fortunate to be invited to lecture quite a few um, at a few different places. And I love lecturing. Um, preparing for the lectures actually really gives me a really good drive to keep on top of the latest knowledge because when you are teaching something, you have to know it before you teach it. So that's personally how I like doing it. Um, and then also being part of, you know, um, your specialty associations like the um, like the um, European Association of Oral Medicine and obviously there's, there's, a, um, this is, there's an Australian one as well. Attending those conferences, hanging out with specialist colleagues, getting involved in research. Like I think all of that is... Um, very important. And before I started oral medicine, Professor Michael McCullough, actually, who's, who's in Melbourne, um, he was telling me his story about how um, he just fell in love with oral medicine. He never looked back and all he thinks about is oral medicine. And to be fair, with all the oral medicine specialists that I, that I know, it is very similar. Because I think once you like something so much and you get asked these questions and you see patients with these relevant conditions, um, there is an actual drive to go and read up and find out or even research it because you're interested in it and you, and you want to know more. So I think practically preparing for lectures, teaching students, you know, all of this sort of stuff forces me to keep on top of it, doing my social media posts as well. Um, I do research um, and check everything properly before I post it because I don't want to put out wrong information. So, you know, all of that keeps your knowledge base um, up to scratch. And then also, you know, attending conferences, learning from other senior colleagues and things like that. Fair enough. Yeah. So, you know, has there been... A particular CPD that's had the biggest impact on you in terms of oral medicine wise? Mm, yep, yeah. Um, there was the uh, World Workshop in Oral Medicine and it was in Gothenburg, Swe uh, Sweden, uh, Switzerland. Sorry. Spice is clearly getting to me. <laughs> um, I'm here with you, man. I'm here with you. You know, we're going through this. Sweden or Switzerland? <laughs> 
anyway, it's in Gothenburg. Um, so it was really good. You know, there's a bunch of us that um, that went over. They tied on with the European Association of Oral Medicine, big oral medicine conferences, all of these big names. Very exciting because people, these are the people that you read in textbooks and they've written papers and you get to meet them and they shake your hand and then you gush about their paper and then, you know, they come up a little bit weird, but they get it. Um, so, you know, like that oral medicine conference was fantastic. I mean, obviously... It wouldn't be of interest to anyone, I think. Oh, it, I don't think it would be of huge interest to anyone who wasn't in oral medicine. Um, but as, as as an oral medicine registrar at the time, it was it was a lot of fun, and a lot of it was a social aspect as well. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, and maybe in the future we might bring it here as well. Hey, at one point. Oh yeah, like I'm I'm pretty sure. Well, I, I don't think I can say that publicly, but I think <laughs> it has been considered. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, there's not a lot of oral medicine CBD, as we've just mentioned, for the general dentist. But how would you suggest a general dentist get better in educating themselves on oral medicine? I think you mentioned, you know, how when you were getting into it, you're kind of shadowing um, specialists. But is there any other avenues you would recommend? Yeah, so I think, so there are CPD courses. I mean, I suppose comparatively, as a, um, compared to other things, there's not a lot. Some of it is a reflection as well on what, on what people want. So I feel uh, obviously bias party. I feel like there's a lot of oral medicine courses because I feel like a lot of us lecture, you know, a, a lot of the time. Like in Sydney, I'm pretty sure um, Su Ching Yo, she just did the the Emronj webinar for ADA. I think Anastasia did one for the um, ADA New South Wales. Like there's, so there are always oral medicine courses, um, but it reflects on what people want. So if you are interested in a particular course, for example, an oral medicine course, you want to learn more, um, pay for the course and attend the course because organizers of the courses, um, I, am on the, I am on the WA Dental CPD Committee, so I know that there are a lot of WA oral medicine courses, but if people aren't attending these courses, organizers don't tend to run them as much. So maybe oral medicine is not as exciting, you know, it's not as sexy as oral maxillofacial surgery, you know, you pull out the tooth and it's bloody and some people are like, ooh, like, it's not like that. <laughs> but I think if, the, if you are keen on oral medicine, like uh, just attend those courses, pay for those courses um, and tell your friends to attend them because it's, I think organizers will run events if there is demand for it. And yeah, so hopefully the landscape is changing now that oral medicine is something that people are becoming more interested in and then hopefully they will want to attend more courses. Yeah, well, I never would have associated pulling out teeth looking as sexy. Maybe, maybe if you're doing more cosmetic stuff, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh... <laughs> I like, I like, I do follow a few, um, you know, oral maxillofacial surgeons, some prosthodontists, some dentists on on Instagram, and I always laugh because they make it look so good, you know. I think there's one um, oral maxillofacial surgeon. I think he's a weightlifter as well, and <laughs> it's, it's just really funny. Like it's like it's. I can see the appeal, right? Because obviously, it's like. A lot more interesting sometimes to actually look at a successful surgery because the the result is right there as opposed to you know me posting up like drug interactions which can be a little bit dry sometimes uh, but i think um you know this place for everything yeah, yeah hopefully I, more people like oral medicine now <laughs> I, I hope so too you know i i was laughing because i actually know who you're referring to but for all the other listeners out they'll have to go find out themselves <laughs> So, who has been your biggest mentors or idols or inspirations in your career path and, you know, why? There are actually a lot. So, I think, um, I don't know if people feel like they only have one. I am um, of the belief that you, 
should have a few and it, you know it all differs at different time points right so when i was going to university it would be a it could be a lecturer that you really admire and when you first come out in practice it could be someone that you work with i mean for me i got to know dr libby day dr albert tan through doing the mricds program they're wonderful lovely people like both very learned um excellent at dentistry albert's a periodontist libby's a very very good general dentist um so you know uh, both academically and socially like they're wonderful people like they own a little farm in chittering they invite me up all the time um you know to eat beef <laughs> sorry that that came off wrong but but you know <laughs> we, we do. she she does make a very good roast beef which i eat <laughs> but, um so i think mentors are really helpful both in in helping you come out of your shell which which that was a very big part of me when I first came because I think today I was just looking on DPR and there was someone that posted something um, and they were talking about what like how do I find out about what's going on in the dental industry like I didn't even know anything about this TGA stuff until I saw this online and you know like I think sometimes you have to get out there and meet people as well talk to people I mean the obvious answer is also to join the biased but the obvious answer is also to join the ADA because that's such an easy way to do it to keep up to date with everything but you can have sorry so to get back to the mentor question um you get you have to get to know people and then find worthy mentors from there and then it, you don't have to like everything about your mentor you don't have to agree with everything with your mentor but they have to have certain aspects that you admire and that you do want to emulate and so for me i've already told you about albert and libby through the micds program ramesh you've heard about me talk to him about he's um you know he was really someone who was so supportive of, of my interest in oral medicine, which I really appreciate it. And then, you know, I have no doubt that there will be a lot more um, as my career grows. David Hallett, at the um, at, uh, CEO of ADAWA, Jenny Ball, who's director of WA Dental CPD, like they all have aspects that I really admire about them. Um, we don't always agree on everything, like with with anyone, but you know, it's it has to be um, it has to be an evolving process. And then I think the other thing as well is that. Um, it's also a two-way street, right? Because um, I myself have been uh, a mentor in the MRICDS program. Sometimes someone's not ready, like they don't really want to, like they don't really need a mentor at that stage in their career and that's fine. And then you just have to be there for them and then come back another time. So it's it's a very fluid process. So I think sometimes when students, they're about to graduate, they all know that they want a mentor, but they don't know what it means. Like, do they want someone watching you as you do a rotary endo or or do you want someone to call when you've got tough cases? Like, I think it has to be quite clear as well. And I think that I think that relationship has to be understood from both parties as well. So if you are putting someone in a mentor type position, um, it's good that they recognize and acknowledge that so they can guide you along too. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things. I mean, shout out to the ADA because I'm, I'm actually in the mentoring program as well. And I definitely find it very helpful um, during early in my career as well. Um, but to your point, you know, um, I think what it comes down to is that communication. You just got to be clear, you know, if you find that they're, you know, they're checking you too much, just tell them like, you know, that that's probably not what you're after. Mm -hmm. And that a little bit of, you know, if I have that issue, I'll come to you and I'll find you. Whereas some people, like you said, they might not be getting it enough and what the mentor might be offering was what they thought was enough for maybe a previous experience and you just have to communicate that. It's kind of like, I guess, if you're dating someone, you just got to be open and communicating. Otherwise, you can't, no one's, no one's going to understand what the other person's thinking. Exactly. 
because sometimes I see mentorship relationships break down, but from the outside, it looks to me like it's because they didn't know what she, what each other wanted. So for some of the folks watching, I've finished the Shin Ramen. I'm moving on to the Volcano one. I'm not looking forward to it, but here we are. We're approaching. How are you doing over there, Amanda? <laughs> <laughs> And I don't, I don't think you've even touched the Coke yet, so I think you're doing pretty good. I have not, but apparently they say soft drink makes it worse, so we'll see. I'll tell you. <laughs> so, have there been any particular struggles you've had in your CPD journey or dental journey so far that some of the viewers might not know about? So, for my CPD journey, um, just for myself, implants were something that I was really not interested in, um, but... I let myself be talked into it fairly early on in my career. Um, and then I paid for the course and I did it. But like, I was right. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't something that, that I had interest in. Um, so I do regret it a little bit. I mean, I think it was a little bit of a waste of money, to be honest. Like, it's, it's just not something that I had an interest in or that I would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, by far and large, all of the CPD courses, I really enjoyed. Like, even the ones that are a little bit out of left field. So for ADAWA, um, we had a course that was called um, It's All About the Spine. And it was given by a physiotherapist and he was like talking about like, you know, because they just have a lot, of, a lot of neck and back issues and things like that. <clears throat> really enjoyed that one. And there was another talk. Uh, there was another uh, CPD course on work-life balance. Also really enjoyed that. So I think um, with CPD, they're, they're, I feel that if you attend a course that you are interested in, that like, you will never regret it. It's only if you let yourself get talked into attending a course that you kind of deep down know that you didn't really have an interest in, that you would regret it. Everything else, actually, to be honest, I, I, I really liked. Um, haven't done as many overseas course courses as I would have liked um, because, you know, just my life in general. Like, I was in the Navy and then I owned a practice and then I specialized. So I didn't really get to do a whole lot overseas, which I regret. Like, I wish I did. But, um, you know, COVID, so... yeah COVID Um, (laughs) so interesting point you mentioned there um, about owning the practice you know practice ownership you've mentioned in the past was a challenging period in your time you know and since then you've kind of embraced CBD um, leadership um, CBD training haven't you tell us a little bit about that yeah I mean for me um, I felt that leadership would be the leadership courses that I attended, like the Certificate of Advanced Lead, uh, advanced Dental Leadership, couple of communications course. I attended those courses because of the committee roles that I was having and I wanted to do, like I, I wanted to do better. Like I wanted to know what it's about because I didn't have a lot of training in it um, to begin with. Also, I did a little bit through the Navy because Navy, uh, when you, as a dentist, when you join the Navy, you're an officer and then you're expected to lead as well. And I wanted to, I, I just wanted to know what I was doing. Um, but I never really had any aspirations to go back to owning a dental practice. Um, I think there, there have been a couple of people. I think um, Sahil has actually come out to say that he, he used to own a practice, didn't like it either. I think sometimes there's a bit of pressure from yourself or from external people when you think like you're going to graduate, you're going to own a, your own practice. And that seems to be like the goal. Um, perfectly normal and perfectly okay if that's not for you. Because again, I was fairly naive um, at the start and I... Um, I opened up a um, dental practice in partnership with a with a business partner. That went horribly south, and you know I just realized um it's, it's just not for me. Like paying the bills, worrying about payroll, HR, staffing, like that just not 
that <laughs> like all I want to do is my dentistry and my oral medicine. So I think, and I think that's okay. Like I think that's okay. There, there, there should be no shame in saying that like you don't actually want to own a practice. I'm yes. not sure many people feel that, but definitely I felt that that when I finished. Um, also, again, generalizing. So apologies for offend anyone but like from an asian background i think there's also a little bit of that pressure that like you know you're gonna finish you're gonna own your practice and you're gonna like do all of this stuff um but i'm really happy where i am now and like selling my practice was was the best thing i've ever done mm. it's an interesting point you take um i guess for uh our career there's no real ladder, you know, to take, is there? Like, uh, compared to some of the other professions that we might see, you know, there's a progression in roles um, from, you know, intern to manager to surf executive on all that. I guess for uh, the dentists, it's more like an associate and then it's just like senior, maybe uh, dentist and it's, I mean, then... That's where people get that confusion. And I pause because that's where people get confused as to um, seeing how their career path kind of, you know, um, goes. And then so if they think to, they think to themselves, oh, if it's not going to be practice ownership, then I'm going to have to specialize because that's the only other way to further my career. And it's that tricky um, space where a lot of us uh, associates or dentists kind of get caught in, do you feel? Um, yeah, I think so. Like, to be honest, um, and I don't know the numbers on this, so don't come for me. Like, I'm not a business person. I've already said it. That's why I saw my practice. But it seems to me like an associate dentist can make a very comfortable living, be very successful, and they don't have to have the stress and headaches with with owning a practice. I think even if you own one practice, you may not necessarily make much. I think I think the um, I think if you're doing it for like for if you want to do like excellent financially i think it's owning the multiple practices but then that gives you so much headaches and you're not in competition with anyone else right it's just what you want to do for yourself because that's the thing with specialty as well because i often have like people introduce themselves to me and they're like oh i'm just a i'm just a general dentist like there's actually no such thing like i've said that before like a good general dentist is an incredibly hard job like the reason why I specialized is because general dentistry was too much for me. I didn't want to know so much about everything. Like it was too overwhelming. I wanted to know a lot about one little thing and focus in my happy little world. So I think um, I think there's this sort of ladder that you describe, like, you know, new grad, associate dentist, you know, specialist or practice owner. Like, I don't think that that's true. Um, so many associate dentists are incredibly successful and, you know, everyone's successful in their own field and their own way. I think it's just a recognition of what works for you so for me i know that if i were to own multiple dental practices like i would i, I would not like i would just quit <laughs> i couldn't do it um but there's so many people that, that do a really good job about it so i think it's finding your strengths and weaknesses understanding yourself really well as well um and i think it is a very common trap obviously because we all know people who ended up owning their own practice because they thought that it would be the way for them because that's what they've been told that that would be the next ladder the next the next progression and it's not really that way Mm. I don't think, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, struggles with the specialty. Can you talk about any other particular difficulties you might have? I know, I mean, I might detour a little bit off from what you might talk about, but I know that breaking bad news is definitely difficult for a lot of uh, recent graduates. It's difficult for everyone. It, it really is. Um, like, you know, I routinely have to give um, life-changing news. Um, to patients, but so do dentists, you know, and telling people that their teeth need to come out. That's, that's really bad news. Like telling people that their, 
front teeth need to come out or they need a full clearance and stuff like that. Like, I think that all can be really tricky. And there are definitely a lot of courses and papers around that that can help as well. But I think the easiest and simplest advice that I can give for that is to make sure that you're not rushed. Make sure that you've got the appropriate time and setting. And then talk to the patient how you think you would want to be spoken to. If you are getting cues from the patient that they're getting distressed or upset or overwhelmed, um, you know, then you can adjust your tone and the message that you're giving to your patient. And then if it feels like the patient's not receptive or they, they don't understand, bring them back another time town and bring someone with them. So I think um, I think it is confronting, um, but it is something that there are definite, you know, guidelines and goalposts. And, uh, you know, there, there are definitely things that you can do in that you can put in place that will make your life easier. You're putting me up to the challenge. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if people can see this. I've got so much chili on my mouth right now, but I'm holding off on all the chili. I mean, on all of the water and the milk because I don't want to bail out now. But it's okay, you know. If I do bail, you know, don't judge me. Don't judge do, me. Do, do you eat um, do you eat spicy food normally? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, as hot as it gets for me, it's probably like sriracha is is probably on my menu. But you know, sriracha is like ketchup. <laughs> Guys, she's calling me out. She's calling me out here. <laughs> so, have there been instances where there's been like a particular condition, you know, that cannot be diagnosed immediately with the usual tests, like what we might see on medical conditions? And I'm just referring here, like shows on house, you know, the good doctor. And if so, how do you, these conditions kind of um, come about, or how do you approach these kind of conditions and do you work with other colleagues on these kind of cases? Mm. Mm. All the time. Mm. All the time. If there's, if there's anyone that tells you that they never get a case that stumps them, them they're absolutely lying. Um, happens all the time. The most important thing, don't rush. Don't feel the need to tell, to give the patient an answer straight away. When that happens, I'm super honest with, with patients because the thing is that Sometimes it's difficult to do when you're inexperienced because you don't want to come off as inexperienced. But the best thing to do is tell the patient that you don't actually know and tell them how you're going to find out. So it will either be like, I'm going to do a literature search. I'm going to talk to my other colleagues. We're going to go have a multidisciplinary meeting and I will get back to you. Like most patients are very reasonable and they won't expect you to have the answer straight away, especially if it <coughs> <laughs> it's got her. It's got her, guys. It's got her. <laughs> <laughs> especially if it's something that they've seen multiple people about and you're the third or the fourth opinion. Like if you go in there and go, oh yes, it's definitely this. Um, unless you're really sure, like, you know, like just, just take the time, tell the patient that you don't know. Um, it is very acceptable for you to not know the answer, but tell them how you're going to fix it. It's the same uh, advice that I give students and vivas as well. You know, you're finding your exam, like don't make it up. If you don't know it, tell the examiner and tell the examiner where you're going to look for the answer. So very similar. And absolutely, um, a lot of cases, well, not a lot, but, you know, quite a few cases are multidisciplinary. Um, a lot of cases, um, if, if we're not sure, we, uh, because I'm very lucky to work in a group oral medicine practice. One of the advantages about that is that there are five of us who work together. And then sometimes, you know, every so often we actually meet up to discuss some of these cases. 
So yeah, no, absolutely. And if someone has a cancer diagnosis and they're being treated in the public hospital, um, it's all discussed in multidisciplinary settings as well. So you've got, you know, oral medicine, oral maxillofacial surgery, ENT, plastics, oncology, dietetics, cancer nurse, um, speech pathology. Like, you know, we all discuss cases together. So I think multidisciplinary management um, is, is, is really the gold standard for some of these really difficult cases. Yeah, that's reassuring to hear, you know, to, to hear that from your perspective, even from a specialist perspective, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's, I guess, something that we have to apply in general dentistry as well. You know, don't rush into it if you don't feel comfortable or you're not sure of what it is exactly. It's okay to take a step back and then to do a further test or talk to someone to kind of get until you come to something that you're more comfortable with sharing. Um, I mean, one of the big ones that I do see... Um, for example, is patients that are in a lot of pain, they see the dentist. The dentist can't really find anything wrong with the tooth, but like, oh, look, and the patient is desperate, right? They're in pain, they're crying, painkillers don't touch it. They do an extirpation. And then it wasn't really the tooth to begin with. Like that happens quite commonly, to be honest. And I do understand that we are we are helpers, right? That's why we, that's why we do dentistry. We want to help people. Um, but sometimes it's like taking a step back and meeting that you don't know what's causing the pain, but you don't think it's a tooth and we just need to wait. Uh, so I think sometimes it's the experience and the confidence in doing saying things like that as well. Mm, that's interesting. So I guess have there been instances where there's been like the the referring specialist or the the specialist has given back a report that says you know there's it's uneventful or benign, but the general dentist is adamant that that there's something abnormal or there's question or questions otherwise and challenge maybe that diagnosis and again. You know, something I only see on house and the good doctor, so I'm only just asking. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, don't have an example, but it, it definitely happens. Like, um, you know, sometimes a general dentist will be like, could it be this? Or like sometimes we get, um, you know, sometimes uh, someone refers a patient in for me and they're like, they've got this strong pain, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't think it's a tooth. Uh, I think it's trigeminal neuralgia. And then I look at the patient and go, look, I don't think it's the truth either, but I actually don't think it's trigeminal neuralgia. And then we just have a conversation. Because one of the things that I really encourage people to have um, is to actually have a really good relationship with their referrers. Because if if, a de- if my general dentist that refer or my specialist, whoever, um, refers the patient into me and they call me up and go, look, are you sure it's not this? Because like I read this and I'll be like, you know what, let me look into it. I'll read up a little bit. I'll get back to you. Like, I don't take it as an attack. Like, I think I think people are more than more than within their rights to actually discuss about the patient's care because it's a mutual patient as well. So hopefully, um, in those cases, um, my whoever's will have a com- will have, will be comfortable enough with me to come and actually ask me like, "Are you sure it's actually this? Like, did you think about that?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, I did think about that, but it doesn't quite fit because of this." I'll be like, "You know what? That's a good point. I'm gonna look into it more and bring the patient back." So I think. Um, I think that's probably the best way. And, you know, like if, if this patient was your mum or your friend, like you would hope that your healthcare practitioners would have that sort of relationship. Hmm, that's a good point. I guess pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. And like most specialists, oh, okay, well, I'm generalizing. But like for me <laughs> and a lot of specialists, I know like we're so accessible. Like, you know, you can find me anywhere online, really. Mm. Um, so I online so much, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, with so many different challenges that you've faced, you know, that's never seemed to hold you back from pushing forward. How do you balance, you know, the work-life balance that with so many different roles that you're doing simultaneously? Hmm. 
I suppose the most important thing is, well, two points. One of it is that, um, of course, I get tired. Like, sometimes I think, like, maybe I should have said no to that role. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that at different points in time, you will feel differently about your different roles, right? That doesn't mean that you made a mistake or anything like that. Like, if you consistently feel that way, then definitely, like, you need to change something. But it's normal to have off days. Um, the other thing is, was that I think it depends on your... I think it depends on the person that's doing it. Like, it depends on your personality. Because I had to think about it. Um, a lot of these roles that I do, like, I really like, and I think I'll miss them so much if I didn't do them anymore. Um, I can't think of anything worse than being forced to do these roles. So I think if someone asks you and you say yes because you felt bad saying no, like, then you can resent that job really, really, really quickly. But I think if it's something that you enjoy doing, then you do naturally end up making time for it. Um, another thing as well is that um, I, don't, I don't have kids. So um, I, a lot of my friends have kids and they, their life seems really hectic, actually probably more hectic than mine. Um, so I think that, that also probably helps me have a little bit of balance that I don't have to factor kids into the equation. Um, my husband's um, pretty, he plays video games, but he's fairly self-sufficient. You know, he's not quite a kid. He can take care of <laughs> Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, no, I think it, um, I think it just works because I want to do these things. So I make time for it. Mm. You might well, not have, you yeah. might not have kids, but you've got pets. I do. I do have pets. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very attached to my dogs. Yeah. But they, you know, they, they're easy. You just take them for work every day. Give them a little bit of food. Like they, or sometimes I can even take them to meetings. Um, depending on which meeting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> it might come back to you in a moment, eh? Yeah. So, what's your current ideal clinical day look like? You know, the type of things that you might be getting up to. Oh. My ideal clinical day is a mystery clinical day. Because the best thing about oral medicine, right, is that you never know what's going to walk through your door. So, I like having, like, I think I would like a good mix of new patients and review patients. New patients, because obviously that's, you know, that's, that's what's keeping my practice going. Seeing new patients, finding out, you know, new interesting cases. Um, or even if it's routine cases, just helping a patient out as well. You know, giving them a diagnosis, quality of life, like all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then reviews I find quite rewarding as well because then you get, you know, over time you build a relationship with these patients. You see them, you guys, oh, you know, how's your golf game going? Or, you know, how's the grandkids and stuff like that. So I like, I like the relationships that I build with patients um, for my review patients. Um, they, they do, like, we do become, like, quite friendly, obviously, because we see each other regularly. Um, and then the new patients to keep things interesting. So I think for oral medicine, there's no, like, really ideal day because you just never really know what's going to walk through the door but i think that's part of the attraction of oral medicine as well yeah but yeah basically i like it very varied i like a little bit of everything i apologize for everyone that's watching and i'm throwing different faces at amanda it's not that okay um it's just that you, you, you know what for someone that doesn't eat spice i'm actually really impressed you, you've done really well <laughs> Um, you know, this is, this is me now. I'm, I'm trying to hold the fort down, but you know, when this is over, you know, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Hey, <laughs> tomorrow maybe might be a different story as well. Hey, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think most people don't realize nice job. So for everyone that's um, listening, Amanda's just finished her bowl and she's gunned it. No, no waters, nothing, you know? She's she's keeping composure. There's a few coughs here and there. You probably heard it, but overall, she's done really well too. Hey, uh, yes. 
<laughs> it's really tasty though actually that's just the thing about these noodles they get you because they're so spicy but they're so tasty they're addictive they're just you just kind of keep going i know oh so i think most people don't realize that oral medicine includes sorry that <laughs> that oral medicine includes temperament mandibular disorders sleep dental sleep medicine radiographic lesions you know, speaking from my own experience, I've you know made the assumption that I only send oral pathology to the oral medicine specialists, but that's not the case, you know. So, and you've got a particular interest in pediatric oral medicine as well. You know, tell us a little bit about um, all of that. Yeah. So I suppose the thing is, um, for me, like I think it depends on where you are. So that's why going back to the point of it's really important to get to know who you're referring to um, is because you want to know if they see that sort of cases. So there's no, like, I don't think like oral medicine sees everything and you must send everything to us. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not like that. So when I'm in Darwin, I actually work with an oral maxillofacial surgeon, Leon, he's a great guy, and we work really well together because we communicate. And we, um, and we know what cases each other sees. So if there's non-surgical management of TMD, like conservative treatment, he refers them to me. If they need TMD surgery, then obviously they'll be with him. Um, if it's oral lichen planus and it needs ongoing management and review and corticosteroids and stuff like that, he will refer the patient to me. And then, you know, if there's any sort of lesion, big lesions that needs to be biopsies, cysts in the jaw, stuff like that, refer it to him. So I think it's all about knowing who you're working with and knowing what their expertise uh, is in. So I also work, like, I'm friends with a lot of oral maxillofacial surgeons. I'm friends with a lot of dental maxillofacial radiologists. Like I don't, like it's not, it's not real. it's not a turf war. So if there are cases where I see someone and they've got a radiographic finding and I need their expertise and I need like, you know, additional imaging, if I need an MRI of their TM joints or I need CT of the mandible, um, I'll be referring it to a, a dental maxillofacial radiologist. So I do think that in certain cases, it's definitely appropriate and important to work in teams. Um, but then where you are, like you might want to refer a case, for example, to an oral medicine specialist, wherever you are. And then they may go, oh, actually, I don't see those cases. Then, you know, then, you know, because you've spoken to them, then you refer them to someone else. So I think it's very much establishing the open lines of communications. Because, you know, every day I get messages from, uh, from, from my referrers, from my colleagues, from my friends, and they'd be like, I've got this one. It's a bit of a strange one. Like, will you see it? And I'll be like, no, it's an OMFS. I'll be like, yes, I'll see the patient. Or like, no, do a report. Um, do get a DMFR report. So I think it's um, yeah, I think it's all just communication, really. Um, I don't get offended if people want to refer to someone else first. Like I, as I said, like I, I really don't think it's a turf war. It's all about treating the patient um, appropriately. And I think if you work with people that you can work well with and you understand what everyone's doing, like there's there's not a lot of uh conflict in those areas what was the other second part of the question um oh pediatric oral medicine yeah yeah so, yeah so pediatric oral medicine so so i do work at the perth children's hospital and um, pediatric or, pediatric oral medicine so actually when i was thinking about specializing the, the two things that i was considering was either oral medicine or pediatric dentistry um, and then i realized that i really like oral medicine and it made a lot more sense for me to do oral medicine and then think about seeing kids uh, than, than the other way around because I didn't really want to do like the, the stainless steel crowns and stuff. Um, so yeah, so pediatric oral medicine, it's just like adult oral medicine because kids get these conditions too. Um, but then the presentation and the management obviously can be very different. So we do see, you know, for example, TMD in kids. Um, a lot of them, sometimes they're, they've got syndromes like Alice Danlos, for example. 
um, and they can, um, you know, sometimes have, you know, idiopathic arthritis or, you know, all of these sort of things. So it's like, uh, it's like oral medicine, but in a weird way, it's also completely different because the, the management and the presentations are different. And plus I like seeing kids because they're cute. That's so awesome. Um, I noticed that we're really pushing, I can't believe we're already over time, um, but I'll, I'll put one last question in. You know, you do a lot of different social media platforms. You're on podcasts, you know, spoonful of oral medicine there. You know, you do IG posts, you do blogs. You know, where have you found your audience to be the most engagement in in terms of content and in terms of the amount, the content that you talk about? You talk about leadership, you talk about social media, you got to talk about perceptions about dental careers, you know. It's a whole wide range of things. What's been your biggest takeaway from those discussions? Oh gosh, okay, big big question. Um, <laughs> what what I get the most engagement from? To be honest, I don't actually track engagements um, that much. Like I know there are some people. No, I don't think in the dental industry. Probably like in the influencer industry where they track like, um, you know, they get like algorithms and they look at things and like who's. I I don't really look at that because this for me is like a hobby. Like if if anybody wants to look at my post then you know then I would love them too but I'm not like actively like counting followers um so I don't actively track engagement but I think um I think Instagram uh is biggest for worldwide because I think there are a lot of people uh, obviously from other parts of the world where Instagram is more popular um among my local colleagues um it seems to be Facebook that they're more on and we have a chat there um and the biggest takeaway from everything that I'm doing I think it sounds really cheesy. I know it does, but I think you I think you just got to do what makes you happy. Because you know, with everyone that I talk to about, you know, CPD advancing you in your career, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff, the patient interactions, like it doesn't come if you're not happy and if you don't have work-life balance. Um, and I think it's also important to be fairly open about that as well. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of people where they have decided that dentistry wasn't the right career for them, or they were unsure whether it was. Co- um, whether it was the correct uh, pathway for them or not. And I think it's quite important, I think, to have that insight yourself and to have a little bit of a think as to are you really doing what makes you happy? Because, you know, life is short. We only have a finite time on earth. Like you, if, if you worry about what people are going to say about you, if, you, if you're worried about whether you're going to disappoint your parents or not, like it's, it's a difficult way to live. Dr. Amanda Punuan, thank you. There's so many questions I wanted to ask you, but you know, that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you for coming on the show today, and thanks for sharing in on this mukbang, Bernie Mouth special. I mean, like I said, you haven't touched your drinks at all. You're doing it. I'm trying to hold it down for it, trying to keep it up with you. You know, I've got the water, I've got the milk, and it's still kind of hanging in there. You did very well. I'm very impressed for someone who does not eat spice. You did, you did so well. Very impressed. I, I, but yeah, I need apparently, to milk now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can feel my stomach. I feel it all happening right now. So, if you can let the people know how they can find you and what's kind of going on in your life. Yeah, so um, I am on Facebook. So, I do have an oral medicine page called A Spoonful of Oral Medicine. I am on Instagram as well, Oral Medicine, Oral Pathology. Those are probably the easiest ways. But then, if you Google, I also have YouTube and Twitter and my personal instagram and uh facebook and if you're in perth like you know hit me up we can go for coffee like you guys know where i am in perth as well (laughs) well i hope you have a good night i'm gonna try and recover through all this um thank you for your time thank you see you if you like this episode drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of cp junkie podcast